Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life-giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. Okay, so glad you guys are here. My name is Andreas. I'm the pastor of the church. If, if you don't know us yet, we know most of you, and um, uh, it's, it's great to be part of this church, and we're thankful that we, uh, this morning, I love leading worship. I don't do it a lot anymore, but I, I really love it. Um, I do not have the vocal ability of Montana or Bish, but, but uh, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. It's it's worship is about giving it. You're giving it to God, and um, and I, I hope that you are encouraged in your worship and your praise to just enter in. Forget about um, what you sound like. Just just enter in. It's between you and God. God wants to hear your voice. The people around you maybe don't, but God wants to hear your voice, and He's the only one that matters. Okay, moving along. Uh, we are in our series called Proverbs. Train your brain. How are you guys doing? Who's keeping up? Who's, who's reading? Who's been keeping? Very good. Awesome. Uh, I did not see a hand there in the midst of Antol. Um, in the middle there. Are you keeping up? <laughs> good. Okay. Just checking. Because he said I would, he, on day one, he was like, I'm keeping up. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Okay. So um, it's been, it's such a good book to read through. It's, it's a practical book. It teaches us about life. The series is called Train Your Brain. Um, and what we've discovered so far in the series is, is that God wants us to gain wisdom. God wants His children. He, does not want us, he doesn't want you to walk in ignorance. He wants you to walk in wisdom. He wants you to walk in understanding and in knowledge. And wisdom means you have the skill to live life well. If you have wisdom... Godly wisdom based on what he says in his word. Wisdom means I have the skill to live well. I am an expert at living. And I hope this becomes a desire of yours. That, that you're going to adapt your life to become an expert at living God's way. Because when we do that, it, it doesn't say that there's not going to be challenges and it's not going to be hard and it's, it's not going to be complicated and, and you're not going to be confronted by people who do things differently. But what it does say is that when you follow his path, it leads towards life. So how do you become an expert at living well? You have to have the source, the one that gives you the big picture. I don't remember if in week one we spoke about, I cannot paint a picture for the life of me. Uh, we just discovered there's a new Pictionary. I don't know if you've, who knows what Pictionary is? You guys know the game? Have you seen the new one? So it's just a pen and you draw in the air and it connects with the TV. That would be the worst thing ever. I can't even draw when I see it in front. Now I have to draw in the air. <laughs> so it's a new game. Go buy it for your family for Christmas. They'll enjoy it. But, but here's the thing. God's got the big picture of life. God's the one that put it all together and he stands back and he looks at creation and he knows that's how everything works. Everything has a place. I know how it works. So when he says, I'm going to give you wisdom, the wisdom he's giving you is on how to live life well based on his big picture. It's not based on little moments. It's, there's a big picture God behind the wisdom. 
so that we can become experts. And if God has to be in the middle of every one of our decisions, our thoughts, He has to be in there. Now, what you will notice, and I spoke about it last time, it doesn't help me just observing the Word. It doesn't help you just reading Proverbs or, or reading the Bible. You actually have to take the instruction that He gives you and you have to put it into practice. Lene, so, so we, we love hockey. So Kaylee plays hockey really well. Andrew plays hockey well. We were, Lene spent a lot of hours by the, at the rink. She's the youngest, right? So seven years younger. So she gets to see a lot of hockey, a lot of skating. So she sees games. She sees the practices. She sees all of it. So the first time Lene has now signed up, it's her time to join uh, the, the rest of the kids in the hockey programs. And she's like, I said, Lene, okay, so just take it easy. Be patient. No, I've got this. She doesn't dress. I'm telling her, let's put on like snow pants because, you know, it's a little harder when you fall. No, I'll be fine, right? She's like total confidence. So we put the skates on, put the helmet on, put the gloves on. And, and I'll never forget, I'll never, other kids kind of step carefully like on the ice, like they're going to get on the ice. Now, Lene did not step. She went <laughs> and she wiped out so hard. Like it was like, I was like, oh my goodness, I don't know. Uh, you know, concussion protocol. Anybody know what it is? So she wipes out and, she, and then she sits up and she looks at me and she's angry at me. And she was like, I've been watching them skate. It's not supposed to be like this. Right? I've been watching them. I've been observing it. I'm just supposed to glide. And this is so relevant for us as believers also. You're going to wipe out with God's instruction. You're going to fail when you follow His direction. You're going to have failures and you're going to wipe out really hard because you've been in church for 40 years and you've never actually done what the Word says. And now suddenly you start doing what the Word says. And you know what happens? The enemy comes against people who are actively pursuing God's instruction by doing it. Those are the ones he'll come after. Those who are passive, why would he do anything against you? You're not doing anything anyway. So then what happens is you wipe out and we go, but I'm following God's instruction. God's like, yeah, just get back up again. Uh, Lene wanted to get off the ice. We said, no, not getting off the ice. She said, I don't want to do that. I said, well, then you can just sit on the ice. And the good thing is she only had stockings on. So her butt gets cold. You can only sit on ice that long. Then you have to stand up. So she got back up again and she stood a little bit and skated and fell again. And now... When she hits the ice, there's only one speed, full speed. Like she, she's ripping it. But if she quit when she fell once, she would never get to the place where she can now function. And it's the same for us. God is so practical. His instructions are so practical. When you start following, you will have failures. That's okay. Stick to His instructions and you will see the reward. You will see that you will become an expert at living life well. So, main ideas in the book. Number one, the first week we looked at, or the first main idea was the fear of God is the foundation. If you don't have a reverence for God, if you don't have God, your ways are higher than mine. If you don't have respect, if, if you don't have, He says it, it settles it. Kind of in your heart. If you want to argue or change it to suit 
your opinion or culture's opinion. If you want to do that, you need to know that your reverence and your fear of the Lord is something which we need to work on. Something that you need to work on. It's an area where you have to take a step back and say, God, I know people are saying everything, but I have to get to the place where I revere you more. Your word more than what my children are saying. I, I revere your word more than what my adult children might be telling me. Or what culture or news or whatever it might be, whatever the world is saying, nothing can have a louder and more important voice in my life than your word. That is my foundation. Nothing else. You cannot be an expert in life without having that awe for God. The second thing we were looking at was uh, about laziness. And that was last week. Second mountain. Work ethic. Drive. Motivation. Be a diligent person. Don't be a lazy person. And even though laziness is accepted today as a something which is not a big deal. It's a big deal for God. It's a big deal in the Bible. Proverbs alone, 19 times, speaks about the lazy person compared to the diligent person, which means we have to get up and follow his instructions and actually do it. Why? Because laziness affects people around you. It affects your home. It affects your relationships. It affects your children's children who you are supposed to leave an inheritance to. Laziness has an effect in the kingdom. If the kingdom was filled with lazy people, the gospel would not advance. The kingdom will not advance. If we just sit back and think, well, they will come to us, we need to know that the kingdom will not advance. God needs diligent people who will pursue advancing his kingdom. And we have to be a church like that. We don't just sit back. We want to go after people. So reverence for God. Diligence, work ethics. Now, this brings us to our next mountain peak. And, and this one is your mouth. Everybody say, my mouth. My mouth. Say, my mouth. I say, whoo-wee. Yeah, it's a good one. You'll see. Um, it's a difference between a wholesome mouth and a polluted mouth. <laughs> and I can just see some of you already looking at me. Oh, you know this is a big issue for me. <laughs> wholesome mouth and a polluted mouth. So words like tongue, lips, mouth, it appears in Proverbs alone 150 times. <laughs> this is a mega theme in this book is my mouth. And today our mouths have expanded to not just what we are saying in person, but now our mouths have become our profiles, our social media, our, our Snapchats, our TikToks, our Everything that represents a voice is now the mouth. I don't think there is a greater time in history where we need to control the mouth and have a, I, I want to say, a bigger scope of difficulty in controlling it than what we are living in today. Because your thoughts, your ideas, it's just out there for everybody. So, so one of the mega themes of this book in Proverbs is your mouth. It speaks about praise should come from your lips. It talks about giving thanks should come out of your mouth. It talks about that. And then it talks about this little thing called complaining. It's not a big issue. You know, complaining is not something we do uh, a lot of. Like, you know, if I've got, if I've got to go to another meeting, I'm going to die. Right? If I have to sit through another Zoom call, I'm going to kill myself. 
I do all the work, they get all the reward. I heard that one. I'm gone all day. All you're doing is sitting on the couch eating bonbons. Where's my dinner? The food's terrible. This is what you've been working on the whole day. People complaining. There's a lot of complaining that happens. This morning, Scott gave a testimony about it. He was like speaking to God, and which is awesome because you spoke to God about it, not to people. Speaking to God about God, the today's job, I need help because today's job is a hard one. I'm going to need some help. And then what happens is God sends someone to the job site without him knowing, someone that's a Christian that he can talk to, share with. And, and actually that, that, that request to God that wasn't a complaint becomes something where God looks after. It's, it, like I said, it was so relevant. But complaining is everywhere. The weather is too hot. The weather is too cold. It's not raining enough. It's raining too much. It's humid. Right? My thighs are rubbing together. (laughs) Complaining, gossiping, whining, lying, criticizing. I don't think you realize how much of that is happening in your life right now. If you have to go actually, so, so when I was preparing this message, I prepared this message four weeks ago already. Um, since then, man, I'm like putting a guard in front of my mouth because we get so accustomed to it. Do you know that this is one of the se- seven deadly sins? Based on the Catholic Church from 600 AD, way back. So the, the, remember we spoke about them last week. It was laziness, pride. Um, complaining, murmuring, the tongue, the mouth, gossip, and then gluttony. Uh, What was the other one? Anger. And two more. (laughs) Yeah, that's seven. So so Proverbs talks about complaining. It it talks about, it tells us that, it says the following, which is a great scripture, Proverbs 17, 22. It says, a cheerful disposition is good for your health. A cheerful disposition is good for your health. Gloom and doom leave you bone tired. What you will discover is complaining makes, it drains your energy. Like you're complaining about something and then, and then what happens when you have to, like you have, you've got no energy to do it. Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says, do everything, listen, do everything without complaining or arguing. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Do it without complaining. Understand that your words reveal the condition of your trust in God's plans and purposes. Your words are revealing. It's like you are disclosing to everybody around you what your trust level is in God by your complaining. It's like a, like a opening up the door of, this is how much I trust God. Let me show you. I'm going to start complaining. It's, it's so revealing. Matthew 12, 32 says the following. For out of the overflow of your heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. Man, that's a great scripture. From a negative heart, what many of us unfortunately have, overflows negative words which generally becomes negative actions resulting in a miserable life. Have you ever met a joyful complainer? 
Oh, I just ate everything and everyone. <laughs> Have you ever met someone like, I just hate everything? <laughs> no, they are terrible to be around. They suck the life out of you. Let me give you a formula. Uh, every, you can write this down. If you want to wreck your life, write this down. This is the recipe to wreck your life. You want to hate your job for the rest of your life. If you want to hate it for the rest of your life, you write this down. Complain about it every day. It's a guarantee. Guarantee it's going to wreck your, your, your work relationship. It's a guarantee. Uh, let me tell you how you can hate your life. It's another useful tip. Complain about your life. You will hate it. It's very useful to know. Do you want to mess up a perfectly good marriage? Great instruction. Write us down for those of you who want to do that. Proverbs 21, 19. Now, let me remind you, this is the Holy Scriptures of God. This is not me. This is what God says. It is better to live alone in the desert than with a crabby, complaining wife. Like, in the gut right there. <laughs> That's a hard one. Okay, this is mine. I made this up. Andreas 4.2. Are you ready for it? No, it just, I just want to be clear. This is not in the Bible. This is me making it up, okay? Everybody got that? Don't come to me afterwards and say, I can't find that scripture. You won't be able to find it. It's the following. It is better to have an ice pick stuck in your eyeball than to be married to a condemning, controlling, judgmental, self-centered, chauvinistic airhead of a guy. Coming home, do you praise your wife? Do you love your children? Are you encouraging and uplifting? Here's a very interesting stat. If you speak one in 10 of your statements with a negative tone towards your spouse, listen, one in 10 with a negative tone, you have a 90% chance that your marriage will end in divorce. One in ten. That is shocking. Just that alone would change your marriage. Just changing that one comment where you've got that guard, where I know you can criticize. I know Umri has one or two things that she can criticize me on. There is so much that she could be negative towards me as a husband or as a father or as a leader. As a pastor of the church, there are so many things that she could break me down for. But I never hear it. And the same for you. There's something, they, I know that there are stuff wrong with your spouse. But when you put a guard in front of your mouth, your intention is to protect that marriage, to protect that relationship, to protect your church, to protect Christianity. To protect our faith, which is foundational. If Christians are fighting Christians, the world, they don't have to fight us. If we kept, keep criticizing other churches, let's love churches everywhere. Let's love them. You don't have to agree with them. You don't. If they follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, don't worry about the rest. Praise them for following Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Your children. How many positive words? If this is related to marriage, can you imagine the impact you are having on your children's lives if one in 10 is negative? The next time you want to speak over your kids, guard. Guard. And, and do what? 
We're going to speak the opposite. Numbers 11. <laughs> Montana asked me earlier, which version of the Bible did you write this one? I said, this was one where I translated it so that we can understand it. It says the following, God, oh God, we are sick and tired of this manna. And now who's talking here? It's the Israelites moving out of Egypt. They were slaves for 400 years where they were beaten and whipped. They were given the scraps. They were the lowest of the low. So that God, we are sick and tired of this manna. If only we can go back to Egypt where the fish was free. You know why the fish were free? Because it was rotten. They got the leftovers, the yucky stuff that nobody wants. So like going, God, we're in the desert. We're out of, we, we are out of being slaves. And now we're in the desert and we're walking. And all you're giving us is manna, bread, and birds. Oh, if we can only go back to Egypt where the fish was free, but it stunk. And it's rotten. And, then, and this is what, shouldn't you be overcome with thankfulness instead? If you go read the scripture numbers, you'll see it, it makes sense. You should be happy that you are not slaves anymore. Shouldn't you be overcome with thankfulness? Complaining. And thankfulness. There it is. Th those two. Same event, different perspective. Same thing, but what is your view on that thing? How do you combat complaining? Or how do you change if you are a complaining person? If it, now, I don't want you to look next to you. But if you are here with somebody or, you know, that you might know that is a complaining person, or if you recognize on your own without them looking at you, that you might be a complaining person? Do you know how to change that? Thankfulness. In that moment where, where you want to snap at your kids or at your family members or at your husband or at your loved one or, or friend or, or a neighbor, in that moment, instead of complaining about what is obviously in front of you, start being thankful and start speaking words of thankfulness for what you do see inside of them. And it will change your relationships. It will change your life. Thankfulness. In Luke 10, um, Jesus at Mary and Martha's home. And, and Martha is like, we got we to gotta cook food. Like Jesus, like they're going to want to eat. So Martha is slaving away in the kitchen and she's working, she's working, she's working because she's thinking this is going to please Jesus. But Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And then Martha comes like, Jesus, do something. Like she's just sitting there, she's lazy. And Jesus is like, Martha, why are you complaining? You can also just sit at my feet. You don't have to be working in the kitchen. Why are you worried about your sister? What she's doing is an amazing thing. Why are you complaining about it? It's all about view. Your viewpoint on the situation. Paul and Silas, they imprisoned Paul, one of the greatest apostles ever. Like, for Gentiles, I think if it wasn't for Paul, I don't know if we would be here. So this man, him and Silas, they're advancing God's kingdom. They're sitting in prison where the other prisoners are. Now, prison is not like today's prison where you walk in and everybody gets an orange overall. Right? And you, and you get your bucket that you can get your food in and you've got a gym outside. And, and it's not the same. This is a, a hole in the ground like a dungeon that is wet and... and, and um, uh, moldy and, and unhealthy and there's, there's sickness and disease in the prison and they are going to be beaten and they're probably going to be killed. 
And what does Paul and Silas do? Look at their perspective. I'm going to praise God anyway. I'm just going to praise God. My view is thankfulness. Thank you, God, for who you are. You are great. You are above all things. When your focus goes towards who He is, your situation changes. You don't look at it the same way anymore. This week, man, um, Proverbs, let me just read this one passage. Proverbs 24, 1 and 2 says, Do not envy the wicked. Do not desire their company. For their hearts plot violence and their lips talk about making trouble. We should not be people that that are, (laughs) if you're not offended, I'll be offended for you type of person. Right? And this is so relevant right now. Like you are not even part of it. But I'll be offended on your behalf also because that is just wrong. It's got nothing to do with you. Nothing. Be thankful for what you see. Do not spend any effort by envying the wicked. Do not desire their company for their hearts plot violence. Things we learn from Proverbs that can change your outlook in life. Three things. Um, The first thing is that you need to get, uh, this is what we have to do from Proverbs. I will not hang out with negative people. Write this down. Make a note, mental note. I see everybody's writing. That's awesome. So uh, mental note, mental note. Do this. I will not hang out with negative people. Why? Because they will pull me down. I will not hang out in groups that are looking for ways to be negative. Why? Because they will. 1 Corinthians 15, 23. Bad company corrupts good character. Now let's take us, let's go rewind all the way back to step one. The fear of the Lord is our foundation. If you cannot go back to the fear of the Lord as your foundation. So whatever group or organization or people or person or family member or, or, or neighbor or friend or, or sibling or child. If whatever they are supporting does not fall under the fear of the Lord. Meaning they, their opinion is based on reverence for God, respect for God. They are against God. Bad company corrupts good character. I know many people who have amazing character. Amazing people. But the company that they started to associate with started pulling them down, 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 so dark down. Where some of them are in rehab centers, you know, 10th, 11th, 12th time, still trying to get out of it. Number two, I will speak words of life. So number one, I will not hang out with bad company. Number two, I will speak words of life. Proverbs 18, the power of the tongue has life and death. Death and life is in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat the fruit of it. What fruit do you want to eat? You have a choice on what fruit you want to eat. The next one, I will be thankful for what I have. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, the Bible says, give thanks. When? When do we give thanks? In all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. It's not, oh God, thank you that my leg just broke. That's not giving thanks. It's God, thank you that you are God. Thank you that I know that no matter what I'm going through, you are in complete control of the situation. Thank you that I know my trust is in you. My faith is in you. You are good. You are merciful. You are mighty. You are powerful. My thanks is not necessary for the hardship that I'm in. 
The thanks is for who God is. That's what we are giving thanks for. Your words will reflect your heart. Now, last week, Pastor Bill Johnson from Bethel Church, Redding, California, his wife passed away. Um, and last Sunday, two days after she passed away, he preached a, a message. Man, probably one of the most powerful messages. I, I, I encourage all of you to go listen to it. Um, Pastor Bill Johnson, um, and it was last week, which was the July July 17th. You just, just go to YouTube. You'll find it there. It's very easy to find. But, but there, there are a few things that he said that I find so amazing for somebody that his wife suffered with cancer, like a heart battle with cancer. Um, and she was home in his arms, basically. And, and he says the following. He preached to, to, the, to the church. He said, we don't get to choose stuff like, I don't want to experience any pain. He said, we don't get to choose that. We can't choose, I don't want to experience any pain. That's not an option we get. We do life. That's what we all do. In fact, let's be really honest. God says things like, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. Those three verses are completely useless if you aren't going to experience loss and disappointment. Nobody needs to rejoice if everything works as you want it to work. It's pointless. Understand what he's saying? If everything works out always, why on earth would you feel happy? Why on earth would you go, yeah? If everything works out the way you think it's going to work and everything is just perfect, that... There will be no rejoicing in us because it is expected. So rejoice comes with difficulty, with hardships, with pushing through things. But it's, it is an instruction from God. Rejoice always. Now, now listen to the last part. And this to me was so beautiful. He said, I will never forget for all my life the moment, that priceless moment of giving thanks, then to have a taken escorted into eternity. So him and Benny were sitting with her in his arms, giving thanks to God in the worst of situations. And then having the testimony afterwards of saying, I will never forget this incredible moment. He's, he's, his message is so powerful. It is so powerful uh, about, about difficulty and hardships and what we believe for, for. Because there's many of you here that believe for things, like that believe for, for certain, you've prayed for it. And I encourage you to go to, and listen to it. But don't just listen through it while you're doing something. I want you to sit down and listen to what he's saying. Because the pain he experienced in those moments, to have the testimony of I will give thanks in all circumstances is one of the most heart-revealing moments I've seen in Bill Johnson. It wasn't just lip service. It's, it's who he is. Now, it, that's where we should be. That thing of doesn't matter how hard it is. Man, I'm going to give thanks to God in the midst of it. Because why? He says, I know God's got this. I know what I wanted. But we don't get to choose that. It was beautiful. Proverbs 6.16, we're going to finish with, with these last few verses. 
It says six things the Lord hates. Now, let's stop there for just a moment. While you're dating someone and you start talking, right, about, you know, what food do you like? You know, what music do you like? You know, <laughs> stuff like that, right? And, and she goes, you know, yeah, I hate uh, vegan food. Let's just find something that most of us could agree on. <laughs> okay. Sorry, Montana, and uh, sorry. Okay, so, so I hate carrots, right? I hate carrots and apple juice. Now, the next night, you want to surprise her, and what do you do? You go buy carrots and apple juice. And she opens the door, and you go, here, she just told you what she hates. Why on earth would you give her what she doesn't like? It's fairly simple. This is the same. It says six things the Lord hates. If you ever wonder, how can I ever find out what God's will is? This is a pretty good place to start. Because it's one thing to know, I know God loves that. God loves it when I do that and He likes it. But when God says very directly, these things I hate, it's a really good indicator of what we should stop doing. Because if you ever did that, you know it's against God's will. So, so here are some things God hates. He says six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. That's a Hebrewism for adding one to it. He goes, there's six things that the Lord hates. And Solomon goes, no, 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 there's seven. There is seven things the Lord hates. Now, we're going to go deeper, but... Little side note, Leviticus. <laughs> I don't know how many of you like reading Leviticus, but it's a great book. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the book of Leviticus. It's a great book. Um, Leviticus, the whole book has like a single theme in it. If you ever read it, you must have this in mind. The theme of the book of Leviticus is holiness, God's holiness, with the purpose that we will find his mind, his thoughts, and become a holy people also. I want to suppose that, or propose that out of all the attributes of God, I think God's judgment and God's holiness are probably the two least attractive ones that people get excited about. I mean, we, we love God's power, talking about God's power. We, we, we love uh, talking about God's mercy and His grace, His attributes like that. We like talking about that. We want to talk about the fact that God is all-knowing, He's omniscient, he's all present, um, he's all powerful. But holiness is not a popular theme that we tell ourselves about. Why? Because we think, we don't understand what holiness is, I believe. We think holiness means boring, dry, stiff neck, organ, um, you know, music with no rhythm, uh, like, you know, drawn out, you know, it's like, uh, like, um, it's, I know some of you like violin, but it's like something like that, like prune, no fun. Uh, you know, it's just like, you just want to, oh, don't talk about holiness. It's like not a topic we like to hear. But holiness, if you take uh, God's power, his, all his attributes in scripture, you, you take his might, his wisdom, his knowledge. Holiness is talked about more than all of them combined. That's how serious God is about holiness. 
So we have to understand what holiness is. Holiness means, because it ties in with the fear of God, it means set apart. Very simple. If you are holy, it means you are set apart. It means you are going to do things differently than what the world is doing. It. I've got a different way of doing things. Holiness. You are set apart. Set apart from something greater for something greater. What is the something greater? To become an expert at living life well. Which means I have to follow his instructions. So when you say yes to God, you are saying yes to his ways. And you are saying yes to holiness. And you are saying yes to follow his instructions. So back to Proverbs very quickly. Six things the Lord hates, seven are abomination to him. He hates a proud look. Oh, I had 15 slides just on a proud look, and then I cut them today because I don't, I'm not going to focus on looks right now. Um, he hates a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plants, feet that are swift in running to evil, <laughs> a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Discord among the brethren. There are seven things in that list. Three in that list has got to do with your mouth. Three out of the seven. God hates it when we use our words incorrectly. When we speak incorrectly. When we lie, when we gossip, when we murmur, when we moan, when we complain, when we bring division. God hates that. God hates when you bring division in his body. It's important to bring the right words. For us to be experts at living well, we have to choose the right words to come out of our mouths. In, in Proverbs 25, 11 says, a word fittingly spoken is like apples of gold and a setting of silver. It's when I speak a word appropriately to you, it is like I am bejeweling you. That is what our words should become in the church. The average person will end up speaking one-fifth of their entire life. The average person. Now, some of you are above average. One-fifth of their entire life verbally communicating. The average person. Now, we also know that different genders, there's a difference between male and female. And I will we'll put this very delicately. But it would seem that females have a far greater logistic ability. Let's put it that way. They have a more developed logistic ability. They are able to use words maybe better, maybe differently, but definitely more. Studies have shown that the women on average speak 25,500 words a day. That's, that's a, this is not me studying it. I've experienced it, but I haven't studied it. <laughs> 25,500 words a day. Men, how many? 12,500. 12,500 is the average. There is a big difference. A massive thing. Now, what does this mean? It means he talks less than she does. <laughs> Which means the following, ladies, 
you have double the amount of watching you have to do. Just that simple. Because words fitly spoken are like apples of gold in a silver setting. You can learn to speak into people's lives words that's encouragement, of encouragement, that's uplifting, that gives life, that's, that's um, just, just putting them at a place where they feel like you are bejeweling them. You have the ability to do that. There's a difference between the right word and the almost right word. There's a difference. And we have to train ourselves, train our brains, that we can speak the right word. When an ambassador wants to represent a nation abroad, he better speak the right words or it can cause war. When a lawyer wants to defend a client, he better speak the right words or it can cost his client's life. The night I asked Omri to marry me, I used words, very disjointed words, but words. The day I responded to the gospel, to the good news, in the message I was sitting in, I was responding to a word that was spoken. Words has the ability to change and impact somebody's life. I was, I was in church my whole life. That day I was there because I, wanted the, I was planning on dating a girl. And the only place I was allowed to see her was in church. Because she was doing this year of your life crazy. It wasn't Ermery. Um, just saying. But, um, but she was like, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be here. But she was doing this thing where she's dedicating a life of a year in church. And she's going to serve in the church. And the only place I could see her, the rest of the time they were serving somewhere in townships. Only place I could see her was on Sunday evenings at church. Um, and it's, you couldn't really see them. You just have to be in church with them. And, and I was standing next to her in church. And my, I had no intention to listen to the message. Zero. I was there to hold hands. That was it. Like there was maybe, maybe a, you know, a little hug afterwards or something like that. But, but the main purpose for me there was not the word. But the word that was so fittingly spoken that evening impacted my life so dramatically that while he was preaching, it felt like God hit me in the chest and said, this is an appointment with you. I sat down in the church. Um, they said the service was done, and um, I, I sat down having this confrontation with God, and I, was sat, I sat for two hours for the first time having a conversation with God because of words fittingly spoken. Your words can lead people into the kingdom, or it could chase them so far away that they don't want anything to do with it. And as a people who want to be experts at living well, we should be wise with the words we choose based on God's instructions, based on His, His principles. We don't compromise the word, but we must make sure that every word we speak is one that's spoken in love and leads people closer. Worship team, you can come up and leads people closer to God. Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Encouragement is like nectar. You can watch a person's eyes light up when you speak a word of encouragement into them. It's like in that moment of saying, being sensitive, God, how can I build this person up? How can I, how can I change and impact their lives?
Your words matter. Don't think that you can just say whatever you want. Don't. Be wise. Count them. Not physically count them, but uh, I'm good. I've got this one. Thank you, Elisa. Thank you. So, so we're going to sing one more song, and the song is called I Speak Jesus. And I spoke this, uh, chose this song um, because this should be what we speak. Like, Jesus was kind, he was generous, he was loving, he was gracious, he was thankful to his Father. Broke the bread and gave thanks. Not complaining, not murmuring, uplifting, encouraging, directing, steering. Make that your words, make that a desire of your heart. Uh, Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the instructions we have in your word. We thank you that your word is, is truth to us. It is our foundation. It's what we want to build our lives upon. And Father, if, if we failed with our complaining and with our moaning, we want to repent and ask for forgiveness and say, sorry, God, that we've done that. We want to follow you in everything we do. Holy Spirit, I know that you, you've said to me, guard your mouth. And I've failed many times. And I want to apologize. Father, if there's anything that I've said that caused people to step away from you or away from your body, please forgive me for that. But also want to pray for our body that we will be sensitive and ask for forgiveness where it's necessary. If we've caused people to take a step back from who you are because of our words, we want to repent and say, we're sorry for that, Lord. Give us another opportunity. Give us an opportunity to speak your life and your love into them. Where you are right now, you can just, on your own, just keep your eyes closed and say, God, it's not between you and him. Like this is your you and him moment where you can talk to him and you can either repent or you can just be thankful. You can choose which one you want to do. I think repenting is probably pretty appropriate right now. But it's up to you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church audio podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. And let's get the word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com. And remember that we can make a difference by loving people.